So I have a friend who has a, what I consider, a strange hobby. Um, if you have this hobby as well, then I do not think any less of you, but like I said, he is a friend of mine. Uh, but he really likes to go to graveyards and read the tombstones. Does anybody like doing that? Any, any graveyard aficionados that really just enjoy going to read the tombstones? Well, this friend really likes to do that, and um, where we where we moved from, there was a really nice lake that was about an hour's drive away from where we lived, and a lot of people would have lake houses there and that kind of thing. And so, one time I was riding with he and his wife, and we're going to a lake house with a friend to go spend a day at the lake. Really looking forward to you know, getting out on the boat, hanging out at the lake house, all that kind of stuff. Really excited about this. Well, we come come across this small country middle of nowhere graveyard and he wants to stop to go read the tombstones and I'm like are you serious like we're going to the lake and you want to read tombstones like well, what is wrong with you thankfully his wife was with us and so we outnumbered him and voted him down for stopping to read the tombstones uh, but it is an interesting thing when you think about things that are sometimes written on tombstones um, that reflect basically how this person is remembered. I uh, looked up a couple of these from some famous people. Uh, first one, we have Michael Jackson, and I think they wanted to give his everything um, about him positive that could possibly say. Songwriter, singer, producer, dancer, choreographer, humanitarian, Jackson 5 member, soloist, uh, 13 number one singles, 13 Grammys, 197 awards, and 37 top 40 hits. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and Motown legend. Uh, gone too soon. So that's what the way his family chose to remember the king of pop. Uh, next one. Uh, Mel Blanc. That's all, folks. All right, let's keep going. Merv Griffin. I will not be right back after this message. <laughs> next one. Rodney Dangerfield. There goes the neighborhood. Uh, Robert Frost. I had a lover's quarrel with the world. Uh, next one. And Doc Holliday, they just said he died in bed. <laughs> That's the way he was remembered. Yes. I see the tombstone. Oh, really? Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff that people put um, on these things, and there's some, some crazy ones out there. Uh, but today we're looking at some passages in Scripture um, in the book of Judges where basically what we have is the epitaph for some, some different judges. And so we're going to look at six different guys today, six different judges throughout the book of Judges. And these are guys that are, uh, some people will call them minor judges uh, because we don't have the long stories about them. We basically will have one verse about them. Uh, others call them non-cyclical judges, and they call them that because we've seen this cycle that we've been going through judges, right? Uh, where, where the different ones, where the story basically unfolds the same way. Well, today we're going to be looking at, at some who basically we have one or two verses about this person um, and what they did. And so I want to kind of lump all those together into to one message today as opposed to treating each of them individually. Um, but my challenge for us... As we are thinking about this, and as we are looking at these guys' lives and how they are forever recorded in Scripture, like their life is recorded for eternity uh, by these verses, think about your life. 
How do you want to be remembered? Um, after you are gone, what do you want said about you? How would you like to be remembered? Um, because you will be remembered. Um, let's be honest. Uh, you know, we might, most of us in this room are probably not going to have biographies written about us. Uh, most of us will probably not make a history book. But we will be remembered. Uh, by our family, by our friends, uh, by those that we know and those we care about. And so the question is, how will they remember us? What will we, what will we be remembered for? And so I want us to go ahead and look at, at these six guys. And we start in uh, chapter 3, verse 31. And this is basically where we are in the progression working through the book. And the first one we have is Shamgar. Um, Shamgar... Uh, verse 31, after him was Shamgar the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an apostate, and he also saved Israel. So that's, that, that's all we know about Shamgar, pretty much right there. Um, he's kind of mentioned over in the Song of Deborah and Barak in chapter 5, but that's basically what we know about him, is that he killed a bunch of guys with an ox goat. How many of you guys have seen an ox goat lately? Anybody use their ox goat this week? Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Well, what it is is an ox goat was something as a tool that you would use when you're plowing with oxen. Okay, and so it's like an eight foot long tool, and on one end was a metal uh, point that you would use to prod the ox um, to make it go or go where you want it to go, and on the other end was like basically like a garden hoe that you would use if like mud caked up on the plow and you'd use it to knock the mud off okay so this is a big eight foot long pole with two metal ends on it that he used to kill 600 men so that's that's what we know about Shamgar next we'll flip over to chapter 10 we have Hola in chapter 10 starting verse 1 after Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, son of Hua, son of Dodo. I mean, these names, right? I mean, hey, granddad Dodo, how's it going? A man of Issachar, and he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years, and then he died and was buried at Shamir. We don't know a whole lot about him other than basically he served and died. And he had some weird-named ancestors. All right, uh, check. going on to verse 3. After him arose Jagir, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. And they had 30 cities called Haboth, Jair, to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Canaan. Okay, now we'll skip over to chapter 12. Starting in verse 8, we have Ibzan. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave in marriage outside his clan. And 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. Next, after him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. He judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at John. And the land of Zebulun. And then the last one, after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Periathonite, judged Israel. He had 
40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. And he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Periphonite, died and was buried in Periphon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So those are our guys we're looking at today. You're like, wow, that was just so edifying to my soul to hear um, these passages of Scripture about um, these guys. And I, I want us to, to look at it seriously because we do believe that God thought this was important enough to put in the Bible. Um, so therefore, there probably is something we can learn here. There's something we can learn from looking at these guys and looking at their lives. And I think that they, that could help to inform us about how we live and how we will be, we be remembered. Um, so I pulled out a couple of lessons that we can learn from these guys. The first lesson, lesson number one, is you do not have to accomplish some amazing feat to do what God wants you to do. You see, some of these guys, you know, some of the judges, yeah, with Samson, we have the, all these great feats of strength that he accomplishes and how he does all this stuff, and we have all of that. But, but some of these guys... They're listed right here. They did their job. They did what God had for them to do. They served for so many years. And then they were done. And I think that's very pleasing to the Lord. And so in our lives, I don't think we have to be looking for, you know, what is the great, amazing thing that I can accomplish for God? But instead, how can I be faithful? How can I serve Him with my life? And what does He want me to do? I think if we're answering that question, if we're honest to that question, then I think we'll be, be remembered in the way that we would like to be remembered. Instead of trying to come up with, God, what is the, the most amazing thing that, I, that could happen through my life? Say, God, just what is the thing that you want from my life? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? Because I think if we do that, I think that would be a pretty great thing to have and they did the will of God. And that be a pretty good thing. Well, the next lesson that I saw from looking at these guys is, is to use whatever God has given you for what he has called you to do. You see, Shamgar uses this ox goat thing, right, as, as a weapon to accomplish um, freeing his people from the Philistines. And you might think, well, why would you use an ox goat? We don't really know because the story doesn't tell us why he used it. But it's greatly speculated that the Philistines, as a conquering group, had taken all of their weapons away. And so all he had left was this little farm tool um, that he could use, and he used it. It was what he had. It's what God had given him. And so he used it for God and for what God had asked him to do. Others of these judges... We see these weird accounts of how many sons they have and how many grandsons and then all the donkeys. I mean, what is up with all the donkeys? Well, here's what's up with all the donkeys. Um, in this time, uh, riding on a donkey, actually, as opposed to now, if you see somebody riding on a donkey, what do you do? You laugh. I mean, you feel like, I'm riding on a donkey. Uh, but in this time and in this area, riding on a donkey was actually a symbol of king of party, of being high up, um, lead this into the triumphant entry with Jesus when he came into town. What did he ride on? He rode on a donkey. We think of that in our minds, we think, oh, well, that's humble, that's lowly. But in reality, that was a sign of a king coming, right? 
And so all these, these guys that are recorded as having all these sons, well, that means they had a lot of wealth uh, because they were able to provide for all of this big family, uh, which also means, which I'm, I'm not going to go in great detail in the whole polygamy thing, but they had multiple wives. I mean, you don't get 30 sons out of one woman, right? I mean, just mathematically, number of years, that doesn't work. And all the women said, amen, all right? <laughs> but in, in this culture, that was also a sign of wealth. And so we see guys all the way from Shamgar, who all he's got is this ox goat that he can, he can fight with, to guys with, with great big families, which was wealth. Um, they had cities. They had all of this stuff. They had big, big everything, right? And so we, we see that on both ends of that spectrum, there are people who are using what God has given them to do what God wants them to do. And I think that is another important thing for us to apply to our lives. We might not have the most stuff, but do you look at what you do have and say, how can I accomplish what God wants me to do with this? How can I use this stuff for advancing His kingdom? How can I use what I do have for serving him. How can I give stuff away to help advance the kingdom? How can I give financially? How can I give in different ways? How can I give in my time? How can I give in so many ways? Because all that you have is ultimately a blessing from God that he has entrusted to you. He said, here. Here. And so the question is, what are you going to do with are you going to use it for yourself and for your selfishness and, and just for your own enjoyment, your own pleasure? Or, which, by the way, God has nothing against you having fun and enjoying your stuff. Okay? I just want to be clear on that. Like, God is a fun God, and He likes for us to have fun. I mean, He created it all, so I think He meant for us to have fun with it. But He also meant for us to use it and to use it wisely and to use it for so my challenge for you this week is as you're going through your week and as you're just going through your house, you look at what you've got or this or that, say, this, like, how, how do I use this for God? How do I use this house? How do I use my car, my this, my that? How do, how do I use this for Him? An example we were praying last night was we've had a little litter of puppies, right? Well, word has got out in our neighborhood that we have puppies. And so there was this whole little mob of, like, early teenage girls that flooded our house last night wanting to play with puppies. And my prayer was just, God, if you can use these puppies to help us build relationships with our neighbors. Like, that, that's so awesome. Because that's what we're here for. We want to reach them. We want to, we want to share with them, right? And so, God, if you're using puppies, that's just a great sign of who you are and how you can work. Well, the last lesson that I see... Um, from this is the fact that we all die. Every one of these judges died. And I, I, I checked, and currently um, the mortality rate is running right at 100%. Um, it's staying pretty steady. Uh, pretty much since sin entered the world, we've been holding at 100%. And so, unless Jesus comes back, we all are also going to die. And not to just be morbid or to be worried about that, but that, that should give us some perspective. And what we need to think about is what matters in that moment. 
What matters at that point? Uh, Jesus kind of taught on this over in Matthew. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll be in Matthew for a little bit. But uh, Jesus is teaching, and one of the ways that Jesus would teach was through parables. And when he's teaching in a parable, basically he's telling a story to make a point. All right? And so, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to overly read into a parable, but you want to look at a parable and say, okay, what's the main point that he's making here? And what can I look at this? Well, in Matthew 25, starting at verse 14, For it will be like a man going on a journey, called his servants and trusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now talents in this time was a financial, financial thing, it was a currency, it was a, a kind of money, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, he has these three servants, he's going away, but he's entrusting them with some of his wealth. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground in his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, he, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. And you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. So I ask you, you put yourself in that story. When you think about what, what Jesus has entrusted to you until he returns, what are you going to be able to give him? What are you going to be able to show for what he's given you, what he's entrusted to you? Will he say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and to your master's dream? I hope so.
Because right after that, he, he makes it a little clearer. He leaves the parable and he just tells us the way it is. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry in future, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison, visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these believers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, when we, we know, when we look at all of Scripture together, not just this one passage, that we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by what we do for the poor and the hungry. The, the key point in, in that part of the story, I think, is those who are righteous and those who are not righteous. The scripture is clear that we are only righteous through the righteousness of Christ. That those of us who place our faith in Christ, He redeems us, He forgives us of what we have done. He forgives us of our sin, and He makes us righteous. Right? He takes our sin, and we get His righteousness. But how do you know that how do you know that you've been forgiven? How do you know that you've been saved? It's by what you what happens in your life. Do you take that righteousness and do you live by it? Do you, do you let him work through your life? Because when, when that is happening, you know what you're going to do? You're going to care about those who are in need. You're going to care about those who are hungry. You're going to help clothe those who need clothes. You're going to visit those who are hurting, those who are in need. And it's not because of your own works, but it's because of him alive in you and the care that he has for you and the love that he's shown for you and the way that you want to show that to others. And so at the end, when he comes back, where are you going? Are you going to be on the right or on the left? Are you going to be with the sheep? Will you be told, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my joy? And will he say, be gone into the eternal fire that was prepared for Satan?
that's the reality. That's, that's ultimately what matters about how we're remembering. How will he remember us? For those of us who are in Christ Jesus and know his righteousness of him in our lives, we know that this is a great thing because we get to experience his joy. But we also know it is a very scary thing for those who do not have that. So we want them to know. We want them to know his joy. We want to take that news to them. We want to show them here is our Lord and Savior and he will save you too. He will take your filthy rags and he will give you his righteousness the same way that he did for me. And so, will we be remembered as the people who brought that big news? Let's pray. Dear God, I pray especially for anyone here in this room who does not have that hope doesn't have that assurance of your righteousness being given to us. Lord, I pray that we will be faithful to live by and act upon that righteousness in our lives, that we will care for those who are hurt, those who are in need, those who are in need. Because you've told us that doing so is basically like we're doing it. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. So it's the least that we can do in return. So God, with the, the years that you've given us, with the time that you've given us here, Lord, let us make an impact. Let us be used by you to further your kingdom. Lord, let it be said, let, us, let each one of us say, all that I have is yours. Use it. Use it however you see fit. Show me ways that I can advance your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for your word.